0: this is the Burst and Bloom podcast number three. Bing, bang, boom. We're getting rolling. Today we're talking about the Tiger Saw album The Featherweight. And The Featherweight was an album that was uh, put out by Burst and Bloom and recorded right here at the uh, Electric Cave in Portsmouth, New Hampshire by Mark McElroy, who's here with us today.
1: Hello, welcome.
0: Mark was referenced a few times on our last podcast when we were talking about Jim Ryu's album. And, oh, uh, yeah,
1: yeah, that's a, that's a good one.
0: We call Do the Guy Who Makes Everything Sound Better. <laughs> <laughs> that is my,
1: yeah, I like to, that's a good specialty to have. Yeah.
0: So this album was released in 2018, and uh, I remember we took a while to record it. What are some of your memories of uh, this album, Dylan?
2: Yeah, well, it was actually released in 2019. In March. And I remember mostly that we spent a long time making it. We started recording in November of 2016. And uh, we recorded through June of 2017.
1: It's funny because uh, it, you record, you, you recall it taking a long time. And I record recall, I recall it not taking a long time. <laughs> I just remember we used like so much, like basic tracks were like six hours or something. Right. And that was it. And then and then there was a bunch of time. And then some overdubs, but like, it was like, it wasn't, there's not a lot of hours that went into it as much as a calendar.
0: I recall it taking forever. Forever. If if it's longer than a week to me, it feels like it's, it's a long time. Yeah.
1: I guess, I guess we recorded a lot
2: fairly quickly, but we spent a lot, a lot of time getting the extra horns and singers and extra things put on, um, later.
1: Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, the, the basic tracks are just really basic and then, uh. So my memory of that is you'd done a rehearsal that I couldn't make it to, I think, at Jim's place with Eric, the bass mm-hmm. player, and Jim on drums. And uh, I think you had one or two of them. And I couldn't make it to either of them. And so then you came in the studio going like, okay, we rehearsed the songs. And like one, two, three, four. And they, they had their parts. Um, and so that seemed to me that it was going pretty smoothly in that respect. Um. But the basic tracks are pretty basic. Eric's, I want to mention after, you know, I re-listened to this just to make sure I remembered everything. Well, I've heard it a few times, having mixed it as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, just, we, Eric's we realized... bass lines are great. Yeah. yeah. Er- Eric Tan's a bass really, player for... He really... So well. him and Jim really set the stage for the whole thing to go right. And I don't know if I really remembered it like that, because most of the time was spent doing the overdubs and accumulating the, the extra backing tracks. But... Um, it was pretty good from the basic tracks.
0: Yeah, and interestingly, I remember this was, some of the songs were from an aborted Tigersaw album that never saw the light of day. Tell us a little bit about that recording process and how you decided to have at it again.
2: Yeah, so Tigersaw for a long time was considered a slowcore band and we played very quiet, pretty music and I've always wanted to make what I consider to be a a funk record or an R&B influenced record and in 2007 we made a record called Tigers on Fire which sort of explored some of those sounds and was a combination of some of the older sounds with a a horn and percussion-laden R&B influenced sound that we called Basement Soul. That was sort of an experiment that I think sounds pretty good to this day, um, but it wasn't quite all the way. And after we recorded that record, um, that's when Eric Tans joined the band, and we ended up touring those songs, the Tigers on Fire songs, um, all around the U.S. and Europe. Um, And then we started writing some more songs in that vein. Um, So we we recorded an album with Eric on the bass and Dylan Clark on the drums and some other folks, which had uh, some earlier versions of some of these songs on it, um, like Aviary. But ultimately, we didn't release the album because it wasn't quite what we were looking for and ended up moving on to record another record called Nightingales, which was a lot more quiet again. And we sort of went back to the old sound, but it stuck with me for all that time that I wanted to make another record that would be the the real Basement Soul record, the real funk record. Um, but it took years and years to actually get to it again. So Eric actually left the band and we went on to do several more things. Um, and then when, when I decided in 2017 or 16, whenever it was to make this featherweight record, I invited Eric back into the band because he was a big part of that sound back in the day. Um, and I had been talking to Jim Ryu about making music like this as well, and I thought that he would be a fantastic drummer to play these kind of songs that were influenced by The Meters and Dr. John and all these funk artists. And he was was on board right away. So that was putting together that rhythm section was key.
0: Nice. And, and so you got, um, you got a bunch of folks to play on the album. And uh, one of the songs, also an older song, was Stronger Than Wedding Rings that was performed with the Tiny Fires Band. And you brought in Stu Diaz to sing lead vocals on that one. Stu Diaz from Soggy Poe Boys and Wizardess and Diaspora Radio. Uh, what was the impetus to bring him on?
2: Well, I love Stu's voice. I mean, I'm a big fan of, of Soggy Po voice. And I first heard him sing when he was in a Fela Kuti cover band called Shango. And I just, I thought this was a great song, stronger than Wedding Rings. And I had sung it, like you said, in the Tiny Fires day. And I thought to have him come in as a guest and just be able to really knock it out of the park would be powerful. And he sure, sure did.
0: Yeah, let's, uh, why don't we give that one a listen?
3: I'll be coming home to turn in trees. Coming home someplace new. Home is where my baby waits. I'm coming home.
2: So that was stronger than wedding
0: rings. Great stuff there. Mark, what do you remember about? I uh, that
1: was Stu um, coming in. Oh, Stu coming in. He just came in, like literally just came in and sang it twice and left it, you know? So he just kind of, he, he listened to it ahead of time, had a feeling what he really did to add his touch to it was he got really behind the beat on the vocal compared to, to, to uh, Dylan. And that's kind of the multiple takes he did was just to really get that super behind the beat, R and B sound. Um, and another memory of this song was uh, the trumpet solo, mm. which, um, because, um, it's Chris, Chris Claxton. So the, we had Chris and Eric Claxton play horns on this. They came in for like an hour and 15 minutes and we had to like bang it all out. And <laughs> they're, they're bangers. They're they They're incredible. Do it. And so what we were doing is I was just humming things to them <laughs> and they were like, okay, we'll just do that. And I would, I would just kind of sing it or play in the melodica and they would just arrange themselves too. And they, you know, like, you know, and so we're just working at breakneck speed. And so, um. Trumpet solo, stronger than wedding rings, and Chris is like, "What do you want?" And I was like, "Picture you're in an LA pit orchestra, and you've been second trumpet your whole life, and you finally get to play Mm -hmm. a solo. That's what I want to sound like." Nice, and he just knocked it out of the (laughs) park.
0: Yeah. And so, Dylan, with the recording process of doing the initial tracking and then bringing in a bunch of folks, I would imagine that it must have been a kind of surprised to to hear a bunch of the new tracks arriving cuz you weren't in for all the the tracking sessions what yeah. was that like hearing it with the horns and and with the backing singers and that all that
2: oh it was amazing it was such a such a treat to hear the songs become something so much bigger and better than i could ever hear them you know just playing it on the guitar and singing it myself Um, but yeah, it was super exciting just getting literally the best people to play all these parts, you know, uh, Jocelyn McKenzie and Emily Hope Price sang all the backup parts on that as well. And they just, they were from the band Pearl and the Beard and they have such a great uh, dynamic singing together and harmonizing. And they just did like the most powerful R and B backup singing possible on that. Kiss the Drums is a song that is a statement of purpose of sorts and it, talks about the playing of the music and what it feels like to to be in a band like that. It name checks Jim Ryu, the drummer, which is awesome and it has really powerful backing parts by Emily and Jocelyn.
0: Great. Well, let's give that one a listen as well. truth. was Kiss the drums and you talked a little bit about some of the influences on this album. Uh, can you can you tell us specifically what you were what you were shooting for and maybe some things you were listening to at the time?
1: Well, you did up Prince and there's a couple of Prince uh, yeah uh, on this yeah
2: <laughs> I mean <laughs> Prince is my all-time favorite musician uh, since I was a little kid and I've always been really influenced or inspired rather by his uh, Camille persona, which is when he pitched up his voice to sound like a woman. And uh, and he made these songs as that sort of alter ego.
4: So
2: we did play with that a little bit on this record, um, pitching up and down my vocals to make it sound alien. It's something that like Funkadelic did a lot as well. So I would think that, you know, I did mention before Dr. John, and the meters, but yeah, certainly Prince and Funkadelic and uh, those those albums were were huge. But I think also thinking about Beck's Midnight Vultures record.
4: I'll be a on a midnight drive. It takes a just to survive.
2: As someone who was known for doing all different kinds of, of music, but then sort of taking on a persona for an album. That's kind of what we were doing. You know, we were known for this sort of slow, quiet, pretty music, but wanted to do something outside of the box. And And I think that sort of made it feel like it's something that we could do. And I've always been interested in bands that could play music in a variety of styles, but still have it sound like them.
0: Yeah, and with uh, with 13 people on the album, and I think the same amount at the record release show at the press room, uh, we were able to really realize some of those those influences, I think. And Mark, you've got all that in your background as well. You grew up on a lot of R&B yeah, and yeah, AIM no, radio. Kind of, and so
1: like, I, don't know, I haven't heard the episode where we talked to Jim, but my specialty in the indie rock world is making indie rock more... R&B and Americana. And More
0: palatable. Right?
1: <laughs> no, I think it's soul mu- it is soul music. That's the thing. Indie rock is soul music because it, it's just directly... Soul- the reason soul music stirs your soul is it is just like a direct expression, you know. And so indie rock is soul music. But to actually combine that, like, American... Uh, and Americana, like, country music is soul music, too. And Ray Charles doing those country records made everyone just realize, oh, my God, this, you know, this is real soul music. And so for me my thing you know going back to 2000 when I started kind of working with indie rock artists in the studio was like adding adding the the soul aspect to back into the uh, the indie rock and so that's um and on God, I kept a records and uh and other you know Torres. Unbunny and bunny and hotel yeah, oh, and alexis yeah, yeah, Right, hotel and, alexis too. Yeah. And so that was kind of I was the one who was called in to <laughs>
2: I was really excited to work with Mark on this because Mark produced the record and he did a lot of the arranging on the record, but he also plays a ton of of organ parts and synths and piano and sings and plays bass and percussion. He's just all over it.
3: They call and I feel like king every song,
2: yeah. you know, he would sort of listen to the bones of what we did and then kind of figure out what to do to bring it to the next level. And his vocabulary, his musical vocabulary is so huge. So if we wanted to specifically reference like the sound of like a Stevie wonder keyboard or a Prince part or something like you knew exactly what that meant and would found, and would find a way to translate it to what we're doing. And I feel like that's something that's way beyond my musical capabilities, but Mark was definitely the secret weapon on this album in that regard.
0: He's yeah. a bomb. He's well, the H bomb.
1: <laughs> well, I enjoy like, uh, Enjoy, you know, uh, connecting those dots. Essentially, like, oh, this this song has a Doctor John groove. Why don't we do this? And like, oh yeah, you get just, just all the toms and the bass. You know, this this reminds me of you know, I walk on gilded splinters, or yeah, you yeah. know. And so, just referencing, like, you wouldn't hear it and go like, oh, that's obviously Doctor John, but it's like, but it, it has the the spirit of it injected into it. And the same thing with the Prince influence stuff. It's not really a Prince song, but it's 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 a true tribute.
0: No, those are actual Prince
1: songs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking of
2: the Dr. John influence, the first song on the record, uh, Bring Out the Dead, was a direct Dr. John inspired uh, song, which references Dr. John in the lyrics. And like he says, the groove is, is uh, a lot along those lines. And Mark actually lays bass on the song. Um, so why don't we give that a listen?
4: And old trombone, we won't wait to consecrate our beloved, we celebrate, embracing faith, we levitate high above. a song whittle dance song, come Killy, come come getting freaky loud Dr. John join the fight be the light you don't need me to know what's right birds unite flock takes flight kiss the sun take the night
0: Well, that was Bring Out the Dead by uh, the band Tiger Saw. The album The Featherweight is what we're talking about today. And why don't we wrap it up by talking for a minute about that live show at the press room and how that all came about.
2: Right on. So uh, we played a record release show in March of 2019 at the press room in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. We had most of the band that played on the record uh, play live we did swap out some of the backup singers because the Jocelyn and Emily lived in New York and weren't able to make the show. So we had Laura Fox and Juliet Nelson and Whitney Roy, uh, all sang amazing backup parts for the uh, record, uh, for the record release show. And we recorded the show. And then a year later, in March of 2020, uh, we released that show as a limited edition compact disc release, um, which is just the album. And then for our encore, we played Prince's Get Off, which is an amazing favorite song of mine as well. (laughs)
0: I remember about that show, it was really hard to fit on stage because we had a couple percussionists and a couple keyboard players, a couple horn players, three singers. Um, but then also at some point, it was a pretty packed house. And at some point, a bunch of people in pajamas showed up. Oh yeah, Do you Remember that? <laughs> that was a, a weird and wild time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which I think all of our shows should have a whole gaggle of people in pajamas.
1: Yeah.
2: And I just remember it, it was, it was a, it was a good house and people were really excited and we sounded so good. And I think of the hundreds and hundreds of shows that Tiger Saw has played over the years, that is in my memory as a, as a definite top five ever, uh, show just felt so good to play with that big band on stage. And I think we sounded so great. So it's, it's awesome that we were able to record it and have a, a document of that as well.
0: I like big bands. Awesome. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming, Mark, and reliving these moments with us. Yeah. Please come down to uh, the dance hall on January twelfth. Uh, we won't be performing this album, but we'll be uh, Tiger Sol will be performing Jim Ryu and Guy Capasalatro. I think that's how you pronounce it. All right, this has been the Burst and Bloom podcast. Thanks for listening, and come back again next week when we'll talk about another of the albums from our extensive roster.